0: This morning we want to continue our, our topic from last week, but last week we talked about divorce and looked at a, a biblical view of divorce and all that, that all that goes into that, and this week we want to look into the, what the Bible has to say or what um, some some general principles are for intimacy, counteracting divorce, keeping ourselves from divorce. I'd like to start with a verse, Hebrews thirteen four, says, Let marriage be held in honor by all. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And this morning, we really want to honor marriage and, and the, the gift of marriage that God has given and the ways that God changes us and, and builds us and refines us through marriage. And I'd like to start by just asking a couple of questions. Um, who do we have here that's been married the longest? So, so let me ask this. If Could you raise your hand if you have been married over... 40 years, okay, over 50 years, that is, that is right there, that'll bring tears to my eyes, that's fantastic, Um, okay, how do we narrow this down, 55 years, 60 years, But and Dorothy, we honor you. You have been an example to us. And this is just something that you can go out on a date together and enjoy some time together. 70, 70 years? They've been married 70 years. That's worth a standing ovation for. Let's stand and congratulate them. We honor your covenant of marriage and, and how you have honored that. I'd like to ask another question because we we want to present marriage as God's plan for, for our relationships and for our young people who are standing for marriage in a culture that is no longer standing for marriage. So who's been married the shortest here? <laughs> or the, the shortest amount of time? <laughs> um, <laughs> we have... <laughs> We have three over here that are possibilities. Chris and Lauren, how long for you guys? Two months. Two months. How long for you guys? 20 days. 20 days? Oh. Four months. They win. Four months. They win. Isn't that f- fantastic, though? So you guys, you guys get to go out on a date as well. It is so easy when we talk about a subject like last week and... And divorce and Jesus' instructions on divorce to end up with this pessimistic view of marriage. And that's not God's view. God's view of marriage is this beautiful work of art that he has created to symbolize, to be a living symbol of his relationship with us, with of his relationship with the church. And as a church, we stand for marriage. And we stand to protect marriage and help marriage. Now this morning, I know that we have a a variety here. We have a number here that are are not married yet. And so for you this morning, you may think, oh, this doesn't apply to me. Again, like I said last week, take notes. This applies because now is the time to learn and to process and to hear wisdom from those older. I know that we have some here that have been hurt and that have been, been devastated by situations beyond your control. And this morning is a chance to just enjoy God's relationship with His church. And as as we talk about marriage, think about God's relationship with you and His love for you. And so this morning we want to go back to Mark and, and use that as a jumping off point. So turn with me to Mark chapter 10 again. Mark chapter 10. Last week we looked at verses 1 through 12. I want to use just the center portion of that as a jumping off point to look at a couple passages and then do something just quite different this morning as we um, hear wisdom from some of the elders in the church. One of the things that I I did this last week is I, I, I asked the elders of the church and some of their wives, what would you say or what in your experience has been something that has kept your marriage strong, that has allowed your marriage... To withstand the rigors of time. And, and the answers started coming in, and, and I started putting those together. And so part of this morning is just going to be like Titus 2, where the older are teaching the younger. And, and I, I get to be their mouthpiece. I've compiled some of what they've said, and, and just to, to pass that on. But there's a wonderful thing when people that have been married a long time Can then invest in those that are not married as long and say, This is how God worked. This is how we did it. So this morning, that's where we're going. And, but let's start with Mark chapter 10. And I'd like to start with verse 6 because we get to God's command for marriage. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And we see God as the author. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. And last week, we looked at all the words in that, that those verses that talk about the permanence of marriage. And if you remember, we talked about bondo. And, and I know that that was a, a fun illustration for a lot of people. And just just so you know, this week... It's not being separated. It's not being separated. I I guess you could cut off pieces as God refines us. And I'm not going to leave that around for cleaning. But we talked that that marriage in God's design is to be a permanent creation of something new that cannot be dissolved, that cannot be torn apart or ripped apart. But this week we want to look at the words in this passage and other passages that deal with intimacy. Intimacy. And we talked about that servants are always, servants obey God and and obey his His plan for intimacy and permanency in marriage. And so look through those verses and look through some of the words that scream intimate to you. In verse 7, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the concept of that verse is a leaving and a cleaving. That's a way that you can remember it. And the leaving of a father and mother actually wasn't necessarily a physical leaving because they often lived in in multi-generational households and the wife would often come and live in the man's household who was living with his father. But it was an emotional and and a, a leaving of leadership to where that man now is leading his wife. And that that family now is their own distinct unit. The former familial commitments are now superseded by the new commitment. What a picture of intimacy and what a picture of cleaving together. Second half of that verse, the hold fast, the, the, the word there for hold fast is to be devoted to, to be joined to, and I think my favorite definition of it, to adhere closely to. To adhere closely to. Which means that God's intention for a couple, for a married couple, is to adhere closely. No space. To be one. And that's a word for intimacy. Now I know that when we use words like intimacy, half of you here are like, yeah, preach it! And half of you are like, that's not a word for me. And usually that's female and male. Because males sometimes, that word intimacy scares us. But think of intimacy as closeness. Think of intimacy as no gaps in normal life. Intimacy might be picking up the house together because you're you're spending normal life together. Intimacy might be sitting and talking and, and talking through a tough issue together. Intimacy might be going to a Dodger game together or angel game because you're living life together. Now, those things don't necessarily create intimacy. It's our choice with what we do while we're doing those things. But intimacy, as as we're looking today and we're looking at God's plan, is no gaps, that we live life together as husband and wife. And that should be a concept that doesn't scare any of us, but should, should capture our hearts, because that is the kind of relationship God wants with us. An intimacy where we dwell with him, where we live in light of his love all the time. And so in verse 7, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, adhere closely to, develop a oneness. And then in verse 8, he goes on, Jesus goes on to explain that, and the two shall become one flesh. We talked about this a little bit last week, that that is a joining together. That is creating a new person or or, or entity, for lack of a better word, however you want to describe marriage. Out of two, they become one that is completely new. It's not just two that are close. It's completely new and enmeshed. Spiritually, emotionally, physically. And again, that is words for intimacy, for what God desires. And if we're to keep ourselves from from separating what God has put together. And if we're going to put up safeguards against divorce, we've got to start being proactive and making sure that we are intimate with each other and following God's plan for marriage. Verse 9, What therefore God has joined together. And that's a word for yoked together. And if you think of two oxen with a yoke around them, that's the picture that he's using. And it's the picture again of going the same direction of working together, being on the same page. Those are all words for oneness. What God has joined together, let man not separate. And those are all quotes from Genesis 1 and 2. That was God's plan. And then we get to Genesis 3, and man's plan comes to be. And we have the fall where man thinks, I can do better than God. And he can't. And the fall affects everything. It affects every part of our being. And it affects our relationships. It affects our marriages. If you think through the curse, and if you think through the results of the the fall, for the woman, it's it's that her desire will be for the man, probably speaking of his position and, and what he's doing, and he will rule over her, speaking of his sinful leadership often, and tendency toward that. For the man, it's to work hard. Not to work. He already was working before the fall. That was ordained by God. But to work hard and, and from the sweat of his brow he will bring forth fruit. He'll be out of the house a lot. He'll be separate a lot. And the results of man's attempt to say I know better than God destroyed relationships or made it much more difficult. But the good news is Through the grace of God and the strength of God, we can redeem those relationships. Turn with me to one other passage before we go through our our list of seven things Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. And Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament right before Matthew, it's little. So you may have to search for it a little bit, but Malachi chapter 2 verses 13 through 16. And the prophet is speaking against Israel on a number of sins that have crept in. And in verses 13 through 16, he deals with divorce and relationships and the lack of oneness. Verse 13. And the second thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because He no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does He not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. And already you see intimacy, companion, So guard yourself in spirit and do not be faithless. Some of you on verse 16 may have, if you have an NIV or, or some another translation, it may say, for God hates divorce. Or God says, I hate divorce. And, and that, that's a challenging... Both of these are, are quite possibly accurate um, translations of what the Hebrew says there. The Hebrew is very vague. And, and literally it says, he hates divorces and so either that's God hates divorce or that's the man hates and so he divorces and brings violence on himself either one we can go with because either one is supported by the Hebrew and either one is is taught elsewhere in scripture they're both good concepts right concepts but we know here that God is saying don't divorce You bring wrath on yourself. You bring judgment on yourself. But again, we see the unity. Did He not make them one in verse 15? We saw the covenant of marriage. We saw that He created spouses to be companions, to be partners. And so we come from these passages and say, how do we build intimacy in marriage? And that's the question I ask the elders and wives. How do we we build intimacy in marriage? And I loved reading their responses. I was convicted by some of their responses. But I I, I pulled them together, and and we just have the top seven. So um, we'll run through these seven. But it's a good question. How do we build permanent intimacy with this person that we married that we're discovering is Actually quite different from ourselves. If you think about it, you married an alien. Someone that is from a different world than you. As I've talked with, with people that have married a long time, they've all said it. We were so much more different than we thought. You know, isn't it true when you're when you're courting or dating in that engagement process, you think that you are the same person? There are no differences. We agree on everything except maybe the little thing with the toothpaste. But, but we agree on just about everything else. And then you get married. And you realize the toothpaste was one of the best things you agreed on. And it's not that you're fighting. It's not that you're arguing. But your versions of normal, your worlds that you come from are completely different. And men and women are completely different. Praise God. And that's why we need each other. But we married aliens. People that we don't understand. People that we weren't expecting to be so different. Now don't go home and and, and say, you know, you're just a weird looking creature with, with antennae. You're an alien. That's not where I'm going with it. It's the differences. And so how do we move past that to be one With someone that is so different from ourselves. First thought that came up over and over and over again divorce is not an option or even a thought. Divorce is not an option or even a thought. Our covenant of oneness is our only option, it's the only option. See, as soon as we allow for divorce, as soon as we open that door, we give ourselves a grass is greener moment. Well, okay, this is getting really hard, so I have a way out. I have a way out. And as human beings, if we have a way out, we will often take it instead of doing the hard work. Malachi 2.14, the, and keep your, keep your um, fingers in, in Malachi passage, the Mark passage, and read verse 14 again. But you say, why does he not? Why does not God not bless us? They were saying, God, you're not accepting our offerings. What are you doing? You're nuts. And he's saying, okay, let's talk. Here's some things that you are violating my commandments in. Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. See, we don't make up that marriage is a covenant. It's in God's Word. It's described as, as much more than oh a, a short-term commitment or much more than just a, a casual promise. This is a covenant that is, <laughs> is witnessed by God Himself. Those are not light words. A covenant was a commitment, a lifelong commitment you were bound to, to responsibility and action. It was interesting when I was reading words about covenant and and definitions of covenant and how it was used in the Old Testament, it never said it was a lifelong commitment to feeling or to, to a, a commitment as long as I feel this way. It was always a commitment to, to being responsible and acting in a certain way. And God, in His divine, infinite wisdom, said marriage needs to be a covenant. If you're going to find a way to develop oneness with this person that is so different than you, then you can't have a way out. And it's worth it. It's worth it. Legend has it when Cortez landed at the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico and is bringing a group of 11 ships to, to conquer the people there and take the, the treasure there, he knew that it would be a difficult journey. And at some point, those men would say, We've had enough. We can't do this. We're outnumbered. The people here are, are, know the land better. We're done. And so the first thing that he did was turn and he burned their ships into the sea. Said, okay, now you're motivated. If we're going to leave, we're going to leave in their ships. There's no way out. There's no way back. That is the idea of a permanent covenant that God has for our marriages. And so if we're going to have marriages that last... And survive the test of time, we have to commit to eliminating the word divorce, the concept of divorce, out of our vocabulary. It is not an option. There are other options that may be harder, but they are better, and glorify God, and bring His blessings in the long run. Husbands, let me talk to you for just a moment. Consider for a moment that your wife's greatest need is security. Her greatest need is to know that you protect her, that she is secure with you. How does it play then if one of your threats is, well, I might leave you? What are you attacking? We're attacking their their basic need. Can there be intimacy when that fear is there? There cannot be. Imagine if you were living in a house that was perched on a hillside and your backyard has already fallen in and there's cracks in your foundation and cracks in the wall because half of your, wall is, half of your house is about to fall over the, the cliff. Do you sleep well at night? You, you can't. And, and the same is true of our marriages. If we allow for an option that, that is not protecting our wives... That is not making them secure, then there will be no intimacy. It can't happen. And so, just right up front, commit to that's never even a discussion, never even a thought. In Malachi chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Twice he says the same thing. So guard yourselves in your spirit, in even what you think, and even what you feel, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Guard yourself. Burn the ships. Look your wife in the eye. Look your husband in the eye in a difficult time and say, we will work this out. We will move forward because I commit to loving you, It's a challenge. Because when we go there, when we use something like divorce as a threat, what we're really saying is, be careful or I might intentionally choose to violate God's Word and compromise my integrity. And that does not give a foundation that we can build a marriage on. So the question I put at the end there, how can, I respond, how can I remind my spouse today of my commitment? How can I remind my spouse today of my commitment? Second thing, how do we build intimacy in marriage? How do we make marriages stand the test of time? Put Christ first in your life and in your marriage put Christ first in your life and in your marriage. Now, I would bet that nothing that we go through today is new. I would pray that nothing that we say today is new. But it's a reminder. And this is a reminder to love Jesus more than your spouse. That our first priority is to fall in love with our Lord and Savior. To be submissive to Him. To encourage that relationship and then to bring Him into our marriage and to together build our marriage on Christ. Again, in the Malachi passage, verses 14 and 15, but you say, why does He not? Because the Lord was witness between you. He is the one that is is witnessing this and part of this marriage. But then in verse 15, did He not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And when we think of God placing a portion of His Spirit in a marriage union, just like He does inside us, there's two things there. Number one, He's the one giving the strength to move forward and to resolve things. Number two, He's to be the foundation. He's to be part of everything we do. Matthew 22, verses 36 through 38. Teacher which is the great commandment in the law. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. He'll go on to say love your neighbor as yourself, but the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And if we're to build solid marriages, that is to be our first priority. Genuinely doing this. This doesn't mean just attending church. or It it doesn't mean just giving lip service to Christianity. It means seeking to be disciples. Have you heard the stat that that the divorce rate among Christians is about the same as that of the world? I don't know if I mentioned this much last week. Um, Both are about 49-50%. But remember, with stats, you can make stats say about anything you want. And so we need to oftentimes dig deeper, because on its face, and a lot of people have used that to say, man, we need to do better in our marriages, we need to to, to commit to marriages, and all that's true, but the statistic, if you break it down further, is really quite interesting, because if you if you ask them the question, how regularly do you attend church, how regularly do you pray, how regularly do you practice the spiritual disciplines, the numbers are very different numbers are about 38% divorce rate for those that are actively pursuing God. Not good, but a lot better than 50%. Now, now, if you take that 38% out, what does that mean for the ones that are claiming to be Christians and are not in their hearts seeking God? That number goes up. And about 60% of those the divorce rate among those are about 60%. And that should be stunning to us because what that means is that that though in reality has borne this out that those that are seeking a relationship with God and to make Christ the center of their home that are uh, that are actively being disciples not perfect disciples none of us are but are actively seeking to have God change them divorce, divorce rates about 38%. For someone that doesn't know God, about 50%. For someone that is casually Christian, Christian in name only, that it hasn't invaded the rest of their lives, it's actually higher than the world at 60%. Wow. And it's a reminder to us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. This is the great and first commandment. I'd like to just illustrate for a moment. Some of you have seen me me illustrate this. I need one couple that's willing to be guinea pigs. No one is willing. (laughs) Okay, we have a a couple. Let, Let me get Nathan and Kelsey up here. Thank you for two being willing. Some of you know me and you're like, oh no. We're going to get Bondo all over us. (laughs) Kelsey, I'd like you to stand here. Nathan, over there. Okay? Thank you for for working with me. A little bit further. (laughs) Okay. There's a distance between them, right? The goal of God is what in marriage? (laughs) Intimacy. Oneness. Okay? Now, Now, here's the thing. In the back, I have a cross. And that represents... The the saving power of Jesus Christ, that represents walking with Him. Nathan walk closer to the cross. Kelsey walk closer to the cross. Keep walking, straight at the cross. Well, okay, you can stop, you don't have to. <laughs> what happened? They got closer together. Have you thought about why? As we walk with God, as we walk closer to the cross, as we're sanctified every day by God, what is He tearing out of our lives? Pride, selfishness, self centeredness, all those things that keep us separate, right? Now, what happens here? Who should I pick on? Nathan. (laughs) Come with me. What happens if Nathan is not firm in his commitment to Christ? Go stand by that plug. Do you see? When both are not committed to Christ, there's distance. But when both are, I can't leave you like this. (laughs) That would be just a bad illustration. But when both of us are committed personally and in our marriages to making Christ the center, it automatically draws us closer to each other. Because, and it's not magic, it's because Christ is working in our hearts and removing those parts of our old man that are detrimental to marriage. You guys can sit down. Thank you for being guinea pigs and good guinea pigs. (laughs) And so that the question for us as, as couples, those that are married, how often do I pray with my spouse? How often do I pray for my spouse? And not that God's judgment will come on them or that some annoying thing will change, but pray God's blessings on them. How often am I willing to do that? How often am I willing to to read God's Word together or talk about what we've read that day? Is Christianity just a Sunday morning thing for us? Or is it something that is going to be part of every aspect of our marriage? Because that is a key indicator of permanency and intimacy in marriage. I challenge you, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And bring that into your marriage as well. One of the elders used the comment, a couple that prays together stays together. It's just a good way of Remembering. So two, put Christ first in your life and in your marriage. Three, if we're to see intimacy and permanency in marriage, we need to see our marriage as God's story, not our story. It's a complete change in focus. See our marriage as God's story, not your story. And this comes back to a comment we we made last week. So many times in marriage, we have elevated personal happiness above God's glory. And God did not have you marry your spouse to make you happy. Some of you are like, oh man, I'm leaving. <laughs> he He had you marry your spouse to bring him glory. Now we know that when, when we bring God glory and we come under his instructions, that then his blessings come on us, not materially, but the blessings of abiding with Christ, and that intimacy actually accomplishes our purposes of incredible marriages. But if we start by saying my purpose is to be happy, we will fail. If we start by saying my purpose is to bring glory to God, then both will happen. It's amazing how that works. And so we come back to what is the purpose of your marriage. And culture today is going to hammer us on this because they say the purpose is to be happy. The purpose is to have your needs met. The purpose is to have companionship. Now, I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm not saying that God wants you to be unhappy in marriage. No, He wants you to be intimate and and blessed and fulfilled. But that's not the primary purpose. His primary purpose is to tell His story and to accomplish His purposes. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. Whether you get married, whether you're single, do all for the glory of God. That is our purpose. You see a hint of it in Malachi again, 2.15. Did you catch why he says to, to guard your marriages? Make sure I have the right verse there. Middle. And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. And we just get a hint that God's purposes are much more than us. His purpose here is to build a godly nation, to build a people that will follow Himself. He's doing something so much bigger than the marriages. And there's nothing like living for His glory. He is changing us as well. He is refining us through marriage. He is sanctifying us, stripping away those things that are so troubling in our lives. Remember back to when you went from being single to being married. One of the things that I often hear couples say is that that revealed to me just how selfish I am. Isn't that true? That was true of me. Still is true of me. As marriage is refining and revealing And it is God's tool. God is using the alien you married (laughs) to refine you and to make you more like Him. One author described marriage as spiritual surgery to get rid of those things in our lives that are displeasing to God. A couple questions that come out of this when we realize this is God's story and not ours. Do we believe God knew what he was doing when he brought you and your spouse together? Do you believe he knew what he was doing? Do you believe he can work all things together for good, especially if you're in a difficult situation? Because God's word promises those things. And the question I put in your notes, how has God touched others because of your marriage? How has God touched others because of your marriage? It's a great, great question as, as spouses to talk about, as husband and wife to talk about. Is God touching anyone because of our marriage? How can He touch people because of our marriage? That's His goal. That's what brings Him glory. And in a dark world, when it comes to marriage, we have an opportunity like no other to shine for God. realize it's God's story and not ours fourth thing that came up in in the discussion shepherd your wife as Christ shepherds the church shepherd your wife as Christ shepherds the church love your wife as Christ loves the church yes I'm talking a little more to men here because as, as Christ is in relationship with the church so men our relationship with our wives are to be And Ephesians 5 is is the key verse for this, and this, I I pray, is, is very familiar. And some of the words of how Christ treats the church, starting at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. And so we already see Christ shows love for the church. We know that it is unfailing, unconditional love for His church. And He's willing to give Himself up for her. He has on the cross... That He might sanctify her. And so we see that God is is with the church making her holy, sanctifying her. Men, are we bringing Christ into the relationship so our wives can grow and, and be nourished in their relationship with God? Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, are we bringing the Word into our marriages so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing? that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. Literally feeds it, helps it grow, gives it what it needs, and cherishes, loves, and and just pours out cherishness. I'm going to make up a word. on, On our wives. just as Christ does for the church. Then he goes on to quote the same Genesis passage. Therefore a man shall leave his mother and father, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Men, and we've said this before, I support you and challenge you that you are pastors in your home. You are pastors in your home. With all that that means. See, in a group this size, we don't have one or two pastors or five or six pastors. We have 70 pastors. Will you pastor your homes and families? Will we stand with each other for that? Wives, wives, The reason Ephesians goes to respect there is no man can be a pastor and lead his home in that way without your respect, without your support, without your encouragement. It is a weighty responsibility, a sobering responsibility to lead your home. To know that God will hold us accountable for the spiritual development of our home. Appreciate your husbands like nothing else to see them do that. As we think of loving our wives as God loves the church, men and women, husbands and wives, beg God for that same love. Beg God that you will love your wife, men, the way God loves the church. Women, beg God that He will give you the love for your husband that represents the church's love for God, but also God's love. This morning in worship, we sing about God's love because that is the foundation to our ability to have any sort of intimacy with each other. Beg God for that unconditional, perfect, unwavering, huge love for each other. We read Matthew 22 where Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest command. The next command is love your neighbor as yourself. And we can start with our closest neighbor. The one we share a room with. And love them as ourselves. Shepherd your wife as God shepherds the church. Question to ask ourselves, am I giving my all to care for my spouse? Am I giving my all to care for my spouse. Three more. We'll move through these fairly quickly. Five, covenant that your spouse is more important than yourself. Covenant that your spouse is more important than yourself. This is one of the ones that came up in in almost every elder's response. And they're speaking as men, but they said we have to start thinking of our, our wives as more important than ourselves. We have to be putting their needs... Their interests above our own. And that's right out of Philippians 2 3 through 5. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Put your spouse's needs ahead of your own. It's hard. It's hard sometimes when our own needs aren't being met and and sometimes we get so thirsty for that that we just lash out or that we, we just grasp for any drink that will feed our need. But biblically, God is the one that meets our needs so that we can then meet each other's needs. That might mean doing things as one. Yeah, even if we don't like what the other person likes might mean, men, that we go shopping. Women, it might mean that we watch a game. I know not all men are there. What does your spouse like to do? And and here's the thing. When I I work with couples, oftentimes I do encourage, let's find some things you have in common. And those are great, and you need to do those. Those are core. But if you never do things that the other person enjoys, if you're never willing to sacrifice and say, yeah, I'm willing to go in that store, I know I don't like shopping. I don't. (laughs) But my wife likes it when I do. Unless it's grocery shopping. She'd rather do that alone. I'm too much of an impulse. (laughs) Ah, this looks good. Do something with your spouse that they like just because they like it. And you're communicating that you're putting them above yourself as more important than yourself. One elder said, it's reducing I thinking and increasing we thinking. It's a good way of putting it, isn't it? Reducing how much I think, well, I want to do this, and increasing, well, we're going to do this together. Because again, intimacy is about living life together. And if we're apart, then we are, we are sowing the seeds for a destruction of that relationship. covenant that your spouse is more important than yourself we could spend a whole morning on that it's huge but the question i was just trying to think of a question okay what gets to the heart of it for many of us how often do i get upset because i'm not being treated the way i want how often do i get upset because i'm not being treated the way i want That hurts. But it reveals where God wants to heal. Number six, we get to some some more practical things, the things that we would be more apt to say to someone to, to build a strong marriage or to build a lasting marriage. But without the foundations that we've talked about, this doesn't mean much. But with the foundation, this is huge, spend quality time together. Building memories, listening, bonding every day. Every day. Did you catch in Malachi the the word that kept being used for wife? The wife of your youth. It implies a whole lot of time. A whole lot of bonding. A whole lot of togetherness. Cleave in the the Mark passage. Hold fast. Be joined. These are all words about living life together. And the question is, is, whose heart are you knitting into yours? Because it's, our relationships are like a bank. And some of you have heard me use this one before. But wherever we make deposits, that's where our heart will eventually go. What Jesus said this, didn't he? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so if I'm banking more time in front of the TV or more time with my, my friends, more time doing whatever, then I'm banking with my wife, which relationship wins? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It goes both ways. And it doesn't have to be people. It can be things. It can be whatever. But we've got to spend quality time together. Live life together. Go on dates. Spend time alone together. Spend time with other adults together. I'd like to give you an assignment today. In the next two weeks, I would love and ask for every married couple here to go on a date. Alone. (laughs) No four-, five-, and six-year-olds. You love them dearly, but you need some alone time. I would ask that this not even be with another couple at this point. Alone. And begin to put into practice the things that are investing in our spouse. In your worship folder, I, I think I put a second sheet of paper with ten questions that a wife can ask her husband and ten questions a husband can ask her, her, his wife. Let's get that right. It would be great to pick one or two of those while you're out and ask them. Go deeper. Go beyond the superficial. Know your spouse. For those of you that really want to get into this, on the back there's like 40, 45 sheets of paper with 50 questions you can ask your wife and 50 questions you can ask your husband. Use the sheets as cheat sheets. It's okay to pull them out and say, we're gonna, you don't have to come up with these on your own. I would bet wives that you would appreciate even if your husband pulled out the sheet and said, you know what, we're gonna, we're gonna ask a couple of these today. I would bet, husbands, you would see your wives light up, that they would sit a little closer to you, that they'd be like, woohoo! Maybe they wouldn't say that. But you're, you're, you're nurturing her spirit. Proverbs 5.18 says, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Enjoy each other. A little later, next verse, it says, be intoxicated always in her love a little later in proverbs he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor with the lord enjoy each other purpose to enjoy each other be intentional to let the person you know, your spouse know that how much you love them this is not the time to say i'm pretty sure they know i've said it we're good this is the time to every day Remind your spouse how much you care. Again, let's think in terms of God's relationship with us. What if you never saw evidence of God's love for you? No, no, we'd be like, I don't want to be in, in a relationship with God if that's the case. I want to know His presence. I want to dwell with Him. I want to to know that He cares for me, that He's watching out for me. Our spouses want the same thing. Would my husband or wife say I have spent quality time with them this week in the way that they enjoy? Finally, last one. And I think this one is one of the, the greatest dangers our young people are facing today. Do not expect your spouse to be perfect. Do not expect your spouse to be perfect. Second Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, all, with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Talking to our young people for a moment, it is so easy to get caught into the prince charming princess whatever mindset. And to disnify our, our marriages. And to and to be looking for someone that is perfect, and then once we're married, to expect them to be perfect and that they should meet every one of my needs. I don't know if you ever noticed, but the prince and princess go back to a castle where someone else is cleaning it, where someone else is cooking, and they just sit around all day. None of us have that. If you do, let me know. We'll share but that's what we we expect out of marriage, and we're seeing a rise like none other in, in women divorcing their husbands for the first time in almost hi- all of history, recorded history. We're seeing that at the highest levels, and, and we're seeing this expectation that my spouse is to be perfect. Your spouse isn't, and you aren't, and I'm not. Susie, maybe. We're working on things. And if we come into the mindset that they have to be perfect, and I will not be happy unless they are, we are dishonoring God in our marriages and relationships. Guys and girls that are looking for marriage, your primary motive or your the primary thing you are looking for is not are they perfect. It's are they teachable by God? Are they in submission to God? Is God refining them? That is the most important thing to look for. Not are they perfect. Marriage is tough, but don't leave. It's hard. But spouse fixer is not part of your job description, it's part of God's job description. And so part of our job description is to learn how to overlook offenses, to learn how to forgive, to learn how to bear with one another in Colossians 3.13. To learn what it means when God says, and and my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. See, we have a choice to make. Am I going When we're upset at something, when we're frustrated at something, we have a choice. Am I going to forgive and let it go? Or am I going to share, forgive and let it go? Those are the only two valid choices. And some things we do need to talk about and share and work through. Other things we just need to, to let go. I challenge you if you find yourself complaining, if you find yourself discontented, repent. Repent of that. Do I minister to my spouse's weakness or do I dwell on them? Now that that leaves room. there's, There's room for growing and there's room for talking about things that bother us. That's not where we're going with that. But if it's done in a complaining, accusatory, judgmental way, then we fail. I know of no spouse that responds well to that. But if we come in a spirit of intimacy and in a submission to God, then God can use that to change us. Seven things. They're not all-inclusive. But what I appreciate about them is it's a word from some of the people that have been married a long time in our church to the rest of us. A word of wisdom. I want to end our service just by reading the vows that we took at marriage. I take you to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold From this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until we are separated by death. As God is my witness, I give you my promise. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you would be the center of our home that you would be the center of our own lives, that you would be the center of our marriages, and that we would actively find ways to do that. Lord, I pray that we would be building families that are shining your light to their community, that are discipling others. Lord, challenge us as men and women, if there's anything in our lives that we are doing that is harming our marriages, that you would begin to refine that. And strip that away. Thank you for loving us perfectly. For never failing us. May we do the same. In Jesus' name.